When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online. Schedule package pickups through the dashboard and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Do you like your paranormal with a small dash of comedy? Hillbilly Horror Stories is just serious enough for the hardcore paranormal enthusiasts, but entertaining enough for skeptics or non-believers. Each week, comedian Jerry Pauly tells his wife Tracy a story about a haunted location or an unexplainable event. The fun part is that Tracy has no clue what the story is, so you get her genuine reaction as she asks the questions that you are probably thinking yourself. Sound like something you'll love? Then head over to wherever you listen to your podcast and start listening to Hillbilly Horror Stories today. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. They say blood is thicker than water. On June 3rd, 1985, the last chapter in a violent, convoluted story involving love, incest, and family drama went up in a plume of smoke. This is the Bitter Blood Murders. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. The story starts with a young daughter of a tobacco executive, the bright, beautiful, and highly desirable Susie Sharp Newsom, born December 24, 1946, in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. She was a descendant of the respected Sharp family, whose most famous member was Judge Susan M. Sharp, the first woman in the country to be elected as the head of a state Supreme Court. And not only did she inherit her aunt's legacy, but was an heiress to the Sharp family money and wanted for nothing. Unfortunately, money doesn't always buy everything. Behind closed doors, Susie had a dark side. She threw massive tantrums when she didn't get her way. And when she did, her mother would simply douse her with cold water to try and calm her daughter down. The spoiled young woman started attending a local college and met a younger man named Tom Lynch, who himself came from a prominent family in Kentucky. It seemed like a match made in heaven, but from the beginning, Susie and Tom's mother, Dolores, clashed. Dolores, like a lot of mothers, thought her son could do better despite Susie's legacy. 
Regardless, the pair married and Susie followed Tom to Kentucky, where he was attending dental school. In 1974, Susie and Tom welcomed their first child, a son named John. And when Dolores came to see her first grandbaby, was told by her daughter-in-law that she had to make an appointment if she wanted to see John, a rule she continued when they welcomed their second son, James, the following year. After both boys were born, Tom decided to move his family to Albuquerque, New Mexico, a place Susie thought was far beneath her station and loathed entirely. So they started to fight. And as the fights got more gruesome, Tom had to make some trips to the hospital, though he never filed any charges against his wife. In the summer of 1979, Susie had enough of New Mexico and went back to North Carolina with the boys, telling Tom that she was simply visiting her sick grandfather for a bit. But as days passed, Tom started to realize that his wife had no intentions of returning with his boys. He knew he had to get himself and the kids out of the marriage and began a custody battle against one of the most politically connected families in the United States. Eventually bowing out and signing an agreement to give Susie custody of four-year-old John and three-year-old James. Now in control over her sons, Susie decided to head off to China to work as an English teacher abroad. At least, that's what she said her plan was. Six months after flying away with very little packed for the three of them, Susie and the boys returned home dirty and malnourished, with Susie saying that they were living in a filthy and unhealthy environment. Shocked by their appearance and health, Susie's mother Florence sent her to see a doctor that they had in the family. Dr. Fred Klenner, Susie's uncle, agreed to treat her, and it was in his office that she saw and became reacquainted with the doctor's son, her cousin, Frederick Klenner Jr. Fritz, as everyone called him, was considered a young protege of his infamous father and were both seen as important figures in the medical field. But Fritz had something much darker inside. From a young age, Fritz had a fascination with Adolf Hitler and the idea of the perfect race. He shared his father's hatred of communism and took it a bit further, was a firm believer in the end of times and prepared for it extensively, had an arsenal of weapons at his disposal, and was a pathological liar who told everyone that he fought as a Green Beret during the Vietnam War and was working undercover for the CIA. Fritz even set up a fraudulent medical practice where he treated patients when, in reality, he was a private school graduate, sent to private school to to keep him away from desegregation, and studied at the University of Mississippi before dropping out and telling his father that he was enrolled at Duke University Medical School, which is why he was allowed to treat patients in his father's practice despite having no licensure and no degree. And just like everyone else who he met, Susie fell for his lies, hook, line, and sinker. She began spending almost all of her free time with her cousin, and though the family was certain something nefarious was going on, kept their mouths shut. Soon, the lovers' pillow talk turned into long rants about Susie's husband, and Fritz started to convince her that Tom was preparing to take her sons away from her. So, she decided to try and limit his visitation as much as she could. She cut off phone calls, threw away letters and packages from Tom and anyone in his family, and tried to sabotage the very little visiting time the three of them even had. And unfortunately, there was very little Tom could do about it. On one particular occasion, the one that finally filled Tom with enough anger to fight back, he and his new wife, Kathy, came to pick up the boys when they arrived in Albuquerque, 
where they were taken aback by how unkempt the boys were. They had dirty hair, long uncut fingernails, and looked thin and pale, toting a bag of so-called vitamins that Dr. Fritz had prescribed to them. That was enough, and Tom decided to go full steam ahead in changing his visitation rights, no matter how much influence Susie's family had. That's when things started to go from bad to murder. In the summer of 1984, both 68-year-old Dolores Lynch and her 39-year-old daughter, Janie, were found in their Prospect, Kentucky home, shot to death by what police believed was a professional killer. The bodies were discovered by a friend of Dolores's who pulled into the driveway only to see her friend's body shot in the back of the head at close range. Following the blood trail inside, they found Janie having been shot exactly like her mother. While the deaths were suspicious and everyone knew it was a murder, there was very little to go on and the case started to chill. Then, nearly a year later, another set of family members died that had everyone wondering what was going on in the Sharp, Newsom Lynch families. On May 19, 1985, authorities found the bodies of 65-year-old Robert W. Newsom and 66-year-old Florence Sharp Newsom, Susie's parents, and 84-year-old Hattie Newsom, her grandmother. While many would think this was simply bad luck for Susie and Tom, it was impossible to ignore the fact that all five were killed almost exactly the same way, though the Newsoms showed far greater violence. Robert had been shot three times in the abdomen, once in the forearm and once in the back of the head just outside the living room, while Florence had her throat slit, two shallow stab wounds on the right side of her neck, one more in the shoulder, and three deep ones to her back. And if that wasn't enough, she had a single shot to the chest and another to her left temple as she laid on the ground, her rings brutally pulled from her fingers. As investigators started to work the case, no one could figure out who would have wanted the Newsoms dead. Much like the Lynch's, this murder showed signs of a professional hit. But in this case, they attempted to make it look a bit more like a robbery, though some of the most valuable things in the home were left untouched, as was visible cash. When asked if anyone would have wanted his parents and grandmother dead, Rob Newsom responded in the negative. But when asked if there had been any problems or unusual events in the family, he felt compelled to mention what happened to his sisters, ex-mother, and sister-in-law. With that, Susie became a prime suspect in both cases, and so did her cousin-turned-lover, Fred Sklenner. As the investigation continued, the following story began to unfold. Using his stunning ability to come up with elaborate lies, Fritz started grooming his young and impressionable neighbor, Ian Perkins, with tales of potential admission to the CIA if he would just help him out with a new secret mission, taking out all of the people he and Susie felt needed to go. Fritz himself drove Ian to the Newsom home the night of the murder and served as a getaway driver in their little CIA mission. Ian was quick to fold when police spoke to him, realizing the role he played in the murders, and agreed to wear a wire to try and get Fritz's confession. He got a vague statement on June 3rd, but before police could move forward with the case against him, the lovers took things a step further just a few hours later. As police descended upon Fritz's apartment with handcuffs ready, Fritz took one of his many weapons and began shooting back at the police while Susie climbed into the passenger side of his SUV with her sons in the back seat. 
Fritz jumped in and a chase ensued, all while shots were being exchanged before Fritz shocked everyone and pulled out an Uzi. Driving through a police barricade, the SUV came to a sudden stop and then exploded. As the car, which had been rigged with explosives, burned, Susie Sharp Newsom Lynch died as a result, while Fritz initially survived only to die on the road of internal hemorrhaging. As responders worked to try and get the boys out of the car, they were unfortunately greeted with their dead bodies. But they didn't die in the blast. After an autopsy was done, experts determined that the 10-year-old John and 9-year-old James were given cyanide and shot in the head prior to the detonation. It appeared that the couple were willing to take the boys' lives rather than let anyone take them away. While it's never been definitively proven, there is very little doubt that Fritz was responsible for the deaths of not just the young boys and the Newsoms, but the Lynch women in Kentucky. It is, however, difficult to determine just how involved Susie was in the crimes, though evidence was recovered proving her participation in Dolores and Janie's death. For the role he played in the murders, the remorseful Ian Perkins served four months in prison. Tom Lynch refused to have his sons buried in North Carolina and instead buried them in the last place he believed they were truly happy, with him in New Mexico. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on June 4th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.